You can be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1. The question is asked, why did Jesus come? Some answers. Well, he came to bring world peace. Others say, well, he came to unite men in a, in a common brotherhood. Others say, he came to be a great moral teacher. Some say, no, he came to be an example so that we could follow his example and by following his, his example, get to heaven. That's not why Jesus came. He did all those things. But his primary purpose is revealed in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. Are you there? The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Quoting from Isaiah verse 23 there. See, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. I believe the summary of the truth, why did Jesus come, is revealed right there in that verse from Isaiah. He came to be Emmanuel, God with us. And I want to talk this morning about his presence among us. Christmas is a time to talk about presents. Out there underneath the tree in the foyer, we have all those presents for our angel tree kids. But I want to talk about another kind of presence. The presence that is God's presence among his people. First truth, his presence was predicted. Number one, I hope you're taking notes. That's a good way to remember it. You know, even if you write it down and leave the notes there and don't take them home, you're still going to remember it a little bit more clearly if you write it down. Number one, his presence was predicted in the word of God. Let's look at the first prediction. It was a supernatural, supernatural prediction. Letter A, it was a supernatural prediction. We read this last time, but let's look at John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. See, I'm going to blame my slowness this morning on my ears being stopped up. But I know where John is. Alright, let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. We looked at that last week. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 2. Look at verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And took up residence or made his dwelling among us. And we observed his glory. The glory is the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is a prediction supernaturally by God through his word that he would send Messiah. He was there in the beginning and God forecast and prophesied that he would come to be man. The probability of Jesus fulfilling the prophecies in scripture is mind boggling. Uh, we've read several things showing the probability of just one or two or three of those. I ran across one uh, specific mathematical calculation. There were over a thousand prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus. That he would be who he was, where he would live, what he would do, what he would say. Of those thousand, 
332 are specific. They can specifically be tied to Jesus Christ. Not just that he would be generally having a kind of ministry, but specifics about his ministry. So you take just 48 of those. 48 of those 300. The odds of just 48 of those being revealed or being fulfilled in one person is 1 trillion 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 trillion. Think about that. That is 1 trillion with how many zeros is that? A hundred and fifty-six. One trillion with 156 zeros. That is mathematically impossible to write. There is no number to, to show that calculation, the probability of 48 of those things being fulfilled. Does that make sense? It's a little bit mind-boggling, but one in that many trillion odds are that 48 of those 300 specific prophecies would be fulfilled. Those are the odds. It says that the probability... Of that happening is 420% larger than the numbering system that we have. It says that probability is equal to the number of atoms in a trillion, 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 billion universes the size of ours. That's the odds that 48 predictions out of the 300 even would be fulfilled. Yet the Bible clearly says this is who he would be. This is where he would be born. This is what he would look like. This is what he would say. This is how he would live. This is how he would die. On and on and on and on. And folks, they were all fulfilled in Christ. That is supernatural. I like what the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Richard Halverson, said. He said, the fact is that the birth, the crucifixion, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ are celebrated worldwide by folk of every race, language, and color every year. And believing in Jesus, they have been delivered from most evil, disastrous, frustrating, and debilitating habits of life forms possible. Then he says this, the real problem with Jesus Christ is not that folks can't believe him. It's that folks won't believe in him. See, the facts are out there. A supernatural prediction fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And the issue is not, can you believe it? But with most people, it's, am I willing to believe it? Larry King, the talk show host, has been asked this question several times. If, if you were to ask God a question, what would you ask him? He said, I, this is the one question, the one person that he would love to interview is, is the Lord Jesus himself. He says, I would ask him this question. Is the virgin birth really true? And then Larry King says this, the answer to that question would define history for me. That's true, isn't it? Did Jesus really come as he said he was going to come? Did he really fulfill the prophecies? The answer to that question would define history for Larry King. Folks, it defines history for us, doesn't it? The Bible is clear, a supernatural prediction of his presence. So let's look now at letter B. It was not only supernatural, something that only God could do. Only God could uh, prophesy something and have it fulfill those statistics, but they were specific. Letter B, it was a specific prediction. Specific prediction. I pulled out a list of some of the worst predictions that have ever been made. Concerning the light bulb, the British Parliament said this, It may be good enough for our transatlantic friends, but it is unworthy of the attention of the practical or scientific men. In other words, let those Americans have their light bulb. It'll never apply to us. I like this one. The president of Michigan Savings Bank was giving advice to Henry Ford's lawyer not to invest in Ford Motor Company. He said this, The horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. I like this one, a Boeing engineer after they built the first 247, which was a twin-engine plane that held 10 people. He said, there will never be a bigger plane built. 
Yeah, he didn't see that plane we went to Thailand on. Goodness gracious. About the computer. There is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. That was in 1977. That was an official, uh, uh, an executive with a company that didn't think that needed to be something we would have. The list just goes on and on and on. I like this one about space travel. There is practically no chance that communication space satellites will be used to provide better telephone, telegraph, television, or radio service in the United States. No chance a satellite could help. I wouldn't have my iPhone if that was the case. I like this one. I'll just close with this one. Television. This was a movie producer. He said, television won't last because people will soon get tired of staring at a plywood box every night. (laughs) Television will never last. Folks, those are predictions people make. They don't come true. The word of God comes true. We talked a little bit last time about some specific predictions. Uh, Specifics. The Bible says he would be a forerunner. would have a forerunner. John the Baptist would come. He would be of the tribe of Judah, of the house of David, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. His birthplace would be around a, a centered around some, a massacre of infants. Uh, he would be called Emmanuel. He would be worshipped by kings. He would come out of Egypt. He would reside in Nazareth, in Galilee. Uh, the temple would still be standing when he was there. He, crucifixion would be the manner of death when he came. And the list goes on and on and on. Daniel even prophesied down to the year. How many years it would be from the time Daniel prophesied, 483 years to the time Christ would come. Specific, specific, specifics. Those are just a few of the specific predictions about Christ. And he fulfilled them. Supernaturally. Specifically. Let's look at number two. Not only was his presence predicted, but his presence has power. His presence has power. I, I just love this truth. Number letter A, only Jesus could reveal God to man. That's powerful. Only Jesus could reveal God to man. What does John three sixteen say? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. God, the Bible says, demonstrated his love in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's powerful. See, only Jesus could reveal who God was. Only Jesus could say, this is God in the flesh. The one who loves you. The one who came for you. Only Jesus could do that. On some of the the reality TV shows, at the end of the fixing up a room or a house or a car or a truck or whatever, they have the big reveal at the end. And it's a big deal and you wait to see and they do the fanfare and they either cover people's eyes or have them walk in the room and everybody's in amazed at this big reveal. And they say, that's what's been going on all this time that I haven't been able to see it. When Jesus came, he was the big revealer. He said, this is the father. This is the heart of God. This is the mind of God coming to show you that God loves you. Only Jesus could reveal God to man. Let her be. Only Jesus could restore fellowship between God and man. Only Jesus could do that. I mentioned Romans five. Let's look at that. Romans 5, verse 8. But God proves or demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we have been saved through him from wrath. For if, while we were enemies, we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more having been reconciled will we be saved by his life? We have been reconciled to God. 
Only Jesus could do that. Somebody said, what's the picture of God's love? And he, he says, Jesus just came and he stretched out his arms. He said, I love you this much. I love the track, the bridge to life. It has a picture of, G, of the cross bridging the person on the op- opposite side of God and the person in fellowship with God. That's what the cross did. It, it reconciled. It bridges together. The Living Bible says that, that God is on one side and man is on the other. And Jesus Christ, his son, brings them together. That's what you call a mediator. That's what you call, call restoring broken fellowship. God's the great restorer. I was syncing my phone this morning with my laptop. And there's a, there's a command at the bottom. And it says, if you're experiencing problems with your phone, it says, hit the restore button. And it will restore all its original settings. I've never, I've never clicked that. There have been a couple of times where I've thought, I need to do that, but I've never clicked that because I don't know if I want to be restored back to the original settings on my phone. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. <laughs> I can't remember what the original settings are, but I thought, you know, that's what God did. So he said, if you are experiencing difficulties with your life, click the restore button and we'll restore you back to its original settings. What's the original setting? <laughs> that's the garden where man is in intimate fellowship with God. So that's what Jesus did. He was the restorer. He's the one that brought us back into intimate fellowship with God. Only Jesus could do that. Let her see. Only Jesus could redeem us. Only Jesus could redeem us. If you're in Romans there, turn back to chapter 3, verse 23. We quote verse 23 all the time, but I want to read 23 and 24 in Romans. Chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He redeemed us. He bought us back. You know, people go around strutting saying, uh, I'm going to be in control of my own life. I'm going to set my own destiny. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be number one. Well, when a person says that, it just shows their ignorance. Because the very breath that they breathe was a gift from God. The very fact that they're alive is the fact that they have a Heavenly Father who loved them enough to even create them. Read Psalm 139. He knit us together in our mother's womb. God created us. So here's the, here's the absurdity in an arrogant statement that says, I'm going to do my own thing and be what I want to be. When God created us, he says, I made you. Here's what's amazing to me. That God not only made us, but he was willing when we went our own way. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. When we had done that, God said, I'm going to buy you back. Not only am I going to take you in your arrogance and in your your pride and your rebellion against me, I'm going to let you live that life until you realize that you need me. That you need to receive the gift of eternal life through my son, and I'm going to buy you back. That's what redemption is. See, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're twice his. You've been bought twice. First of all, he created you, and then he gave his life to buy you back. You're twice his. So how absurd is it for somebody to say, I can do my own thing? It's totally, totally ridiculous for a Christian to say, I can do my own thing. Because you were not only created, you were bought and you've received it. You've been redeemed. You, you're, you belong to him now. It's only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus could be the ultimate sacrifice for sin. That verse, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The last part of that is, but the Lord has laid on him. The iniquity or the sin of us all. Jesus took your sin. He bought you. He redeemed you. Christmas ought to remind us of that. His presence was predicted. It has power. 
But let's just wrap up with this. It has a purpose. God with us, the presence of Jesus Christ in this world has a purpose. Simply stated, let's talk about the why he came. Talk about what he did already, but why did he come? Letter A, he came because he loved us. He came because he loved us. You get a phone call from a family member. We're in the emergency room. What do you do? You go. Why? Because you love that person. You get a phone call from someone that says, I'm in need. You go to respond. Why? Because you love that person. God heard the cries of his people. I love the story in the book of Exodus where the children of Israel were struggling in their bondage. And they're crying out to God. And when God, when God calls Moses out to be their deliverer, basically, this is Kevin's paraphrase. He says, Moses, you tell them that I heard their cry. I heard their, their, their cry out to God. I heard them. And I'm sending a deliverer. Folks, God heard our cry. And when we were in our sin, he loved us enough to send his only son. Romans 5, God demonstrates, God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He came because he loved us. It's truth. It's not a story. It's not a myth. I'm very careful when I say to our kids in chapel, when we have chapel or when I teach any other kids, that let's don't just look at this story from the Bible. I say, let's look at this event that took place. See, because our kids read storybooks all the time. And, and with Santa Claus and everything else, there's a, a, hard connect, a hard time for them to make the connection between what's a myth and what's not. I had a man come visit me as a pastor in a, another church I was pastoring. He sat down and his two boys had been attending our church for a long time because their great-grandma brought them to church. Well, Dad came to see me one time because these two boys were starting to ask questions about Jesus. They want to know what it meant to receive Jesus as their Savior. So the dad brought the boys in, came to see me, and then he asked the boys to leave the room. And he said, now, the pastor, he said, uh, I know all this stuff you're teaching my boys is myth, and I don't want them to grow up believing the myth of Jesus. He was as serious as you could be. He said, I may let them keep coming to your church, but I want you to know I don't like what you're teaching them. That's sad. And I, I, I can't remember my exact words to the guy, but basically I want to tell him, God loves you too, man. Just like we're telling your boys, God loves them. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. I think it takes more faith to believe like that guy did than it does to believe the truth. Because of the evidence that's there. He came because he loved us. Letter B, he came because we could not save ourselves. Isaiah 64 says that all of our righteousness is unclean. One translation says it's as, as filthy rags. The best that I can be isn't good enough. That's not very good news, is it? The best person you can be is not good enough to get you into heaven. I talk to people all the time. They tell me, I'm planning on going to heaven because I'm living a good life. And I want to say, but how good is good enough? At what point... Do you draw the line and say, this isn't good enough? It's like the, when they're weighing the folks on the TV shows, The Biggest Loser, or whatever the shows are, say, you don't want to be below the bubble, right? You don't want to be below the line. Because if you're below the line, you could go home. Where does, who draws the line? Because you could be the best person there is, and then somebody's going to come along, and he's going to live a little bit better and bump you below the line. Well, that'd be uh, just a terrible way to live expecting eternity to be based on, can I stay above the bubble? The Bible's pretty clear. No one can stay above the bubble. See, that's when the Bible says that we have sinned and fallen short 
of the glory of God. You know what that means? It means we've fallen short of the line. No matter how good you can be, you can't save yourself. That's news for some of us. That may be news for you. You thought, Pastor, I thought if I could just keep going to church and maybe read my Bible and not try to cuss too much, not try to hurt too many people, try to give a couple of bucks every week when I go, that God would let me into heaven. If that was the way you got to heaven, why did Jesus come to die? The Bible says he came because he loved us enough to send his one and only son. We cannot save ourselves. I had a conversation with a a teenager a while back and struggling with the truths of the Bible, having doubts. And and man, I I welcome those questions because the guy's honest with me. I've been raised with this and I've been taught this and and I'm struggling with all that. So we talked for a while and and I can't remember his exact exact words, but he said something. In fact, well, it's just so hard to believe when there's no tangible evidence that God's there. And I tried, you know, the argument about we see the wind, but we, you know, we see the effects of wind. And he wasn't buying, buying any of those arguments that I was giving him. He said, it just, he said, you know, if God could just be there where we could touch him, I could believe it'd be that easy. And I, and I just had the thought, I said, you know what, he already did that. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I said, you know what, buddy? I said, God already did what you want. He just looked at me. He never thought of it that way. I said, Jesus did come. And and in essence, Jesus said, you can touch me. You can hear me. You can experience me. And the disciples did. And they recorded in his word their experience. And I said, "It's, it's documented. He really did what you're asking him to do. He came so that you could touch him. He came so that you could hear him. So that you could know that he's real. He came because we can't save ourselves. Let her see. He came because of eternity. Because of eternity. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. He came because of eternity. See, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit could have just sat in heaven and said, well, I wish they would all come when they die. Wouldn't it be great if everybody could come? They didn't do that. He didn't do that. God the Father said, I love you so much, I will send my one and only Son to communicate to you. There is a place called eternity. You're going to spend a place either separated from God or in the presence of God. And because of that, that's why God said, I will send my Son. That's why the Word became flesh. Because of eternity. Think about that. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Every person you meet is going to spend eternity somewhere. Our desire is that every person would experience salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and spend eternity with the Father. He came because of eternity. I love the story about the missionary in the South Pacific and a little boy had brought him a gift clear across the island. It was a, it was a priceless shell, or not a priceless shell, but a very expensive shell that this little boy had found and walked clear across the island to give the missionary. And the missionary is receiving this gift of the shell and he's a little bit concerned that this boy has walked all the way across the island by himself and he's starting to explain his worry about the the hazards of and the and the little boy said no no he said walk part of the gift see the walk across the island was a part of the gift and then the missionary understood see god walked to where you are that's part of the gift he came and lived a life like we live. Yet, the writer of Hebrews says, without sin. 
See, God with us, He came to reveal His love, Himself. He came to restore, He came to redeem. Have you trusted Him as Savior? This would be a great Christmas gift, wouldn't it? To say, Lord, I receive your gift of eternal life. I pray that you do that today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask today that those sitting in this room who've never opened their heart to Christ, that today would be the day that they give their life, their heart, their everything to you. Lord, I pray that some would enter into that great exchange where they say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my plans, my hopes, my dreams, my struggles, my everything in exchange for your life. Would you receive him today? Lord, we ask today, right now, that you would have your way and your will with us. As you say, would you receive me today? That some would do that. Lord, I pray for the rest of us who have a relationship with you through Christ. That this Christmas would be a Christmas where we remember the sacrifice. The distance, the walk you walked. From the glory of heaven. To walk among your creation. To give your life a sacrifice for us. Lord, could we remember that this Christmas? Have your way with us right now during this time of commitment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a minute, we're going to ask you to respond as our worship team leads us to sing. If you need Christ as personal Savior, first of all, you'd understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. If you'd be willing to turn from your sin and receive Christ by faith, we'll show you how to pray a prayer of invitation to receive Christ. You come right now. Let's stand to our feet.